Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast, brought to you by Revision Path, a showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. I'm Maurice Cherry, and before we get started, I wanted to tell you about our t-shirt campaign through Teespring. These limited edition t-shirts sport the Revision Path logo on the front and come in a crew neck and a v-neck style. Visit teespring.com forward slash revision path to order yours today. The campaign ends on April 13th. Also, don't forget that we're on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio. Just do a search for Revision Path, subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. The more subscriptions, ratings, and reviews we have, the more people we can reach. This week, I spoke with Adekunle Oduye, a web designer in New York City. Here we go. Okay, so tell us who you are and what you do. My name is Adekunle Oduye. I'm a designer slash front-end developer from Brooklyn, New York. How did you first get started in design? Well, the whole story started when I, I, I've been an art student since I was the age of eight. Uh-huh. And I uh, picked up, when I got into my first year of college, I picked up uh, graphic design. And a funny story is that my, uh, my, I went to school and I wanted to be a painter. And then uh, someone said that you're not going to make a lot of money uh, being a painter. And I have Nigerian parents, so I had to... <laughs> earn money some way. Right. I decided to pick up graphic design uh, my sophomore year, and then I uh, picked up uh, web design and a uh, little bit front in uh, my last year in uh, college. And then I was lucky enough to get a internship at a design studio in Manhattan, which I was doing mostly uh, graphic design, web design, SEO, front development, and then that's how it all started. And you went to, where'd you go to, to college? Uh, University at Buffalo. Okay. So how was their design program? You said you sort of switched over at some point. I think it was still in the early ages. The design majors were communication design, and then that was it. Like, there was not really no, like, web design course. Mm-hmm. So instead of, like, going the, the communication design route, I took, uh, I did studio art, and I did a mostly focus on uh, graphic design and typography. So I took a bunch of, like, classes and I took out uh, classes about painting and drawing and photography because the way they wanted to set up I did a double major so I was a studio art major and economics major okay and I also wanted to study abroad and with that the with the stuff I wanted to do it wasn't a- I wasn't able to do a uh, communication design so I just did something like I did like my own way of I just took a lot of typography courses and, and stuff that you know interested me and you studied abroad in Rome right yes how was that? How was that experience? Uh, it was, yeah, it was pretty dope. I mean, it, I think it was the highlight of my college career because it was something that I'll probably never do again. It was just like, you know, travel, get to learn, meet new people. And it, it was definitely an experience that I think everyone should have. I was supposed to uh, study bar for a year, but the, my finances wasn't too good. And that was when the, the recession was here for America, so... It was kind of right. hard to, you know, do it for a year, but the semester was, it was wonderful. Did you get to do a lot of design work there? Were you influenced by any design there? Yeah, actually, I actually, we, we had to take a art history course and I also took a web design course and it was, I mean, it was very inspiring. Like I, I get inspired by like mostly everything like fashion and painting and sculpture at all. I th- all think it's, it's all intuitive to like, like making, you know, bringing stuff, different kinds of stuff into your own work. And then as a painter, I mean, that's, the, that's how I, w- I was always like influenced. I was always influenced by the environment and what I saw. Do you still do a lot of painting now? Yeah, I mean, not as much as I wanted to. I, I actually have like supplies that I bought like a couple of months back. But the thing with me is that I'm, I usually paint when I'm inspired. 
and it's kind of hard to paint when you're like, you actually like you're working and then you go to the events and it's like, I don't have like a, a time block set for that, but I'm trying to do that. Like in the near future to have like, you know, maybe a weekend or a Sunday just to like, you know, sit down, doodle and then just paint. Now you mentioned earlier having Nigerian parents. Did you have a very creative childhood? Did they really more push you towards uh, other academic uh, routes? My mom, I think my parents were supportive because the whole plan for us was to be doctors, all of us to be doctors. Oh wow! Yeah, but since I'm like the last of seven, I like I guess they didn't really care as much. <laughs> They got to the end and they got tired. It's like, okay, yeah. you can do what you want. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> the first two are, are doctors. And then uh-huh. I think after, like, and my, my sister, who's the actress, she's the one that was, she kind of broke the uh, the cycle. So I was just like, hey, I guess I'm going to do whatever I want to do. <laughs> so the rest of your siblings, are they, did they also follow that doctor route? Or once your sister broke it, did they also do some more creative endeavors? Yeah, I mean, all of them are different. Like, we have the two, the two, two first ones are doctors. Uh, one is, the second one is a, a actress. We have a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, my sister works for uh, Huffington Post. And my brother works for community, uh, working with kids. It's pretty cool. So I guess when you all get together, that's that's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Did you have any any mentors that helped you along the way? Like, say, when you were in college or even in high school, did you have any mentors that really kind of helped push you to where you are now as a designer? There was one mentor, like, one of my uh, design teachers. The thing is, like, I wanted to do an a internship with her, but I wasn't into the uh, I wasn't in the communication design program but she she knew that I, I wanted to get better and then she's like like I know you need to work on you know you know spacing and typography so she pulled some strings and I was able to like actually do an internship with her that single thing like that single internship actually like shaped me. like it was basically the foundation for where my career is right now she discussed the importance of importance of like typography and spacing and and then she would actually like tell me like how to like the process of actually doing the work from concept to completion. And I think that was very, very important to me. It's funny, other people that, that we've interviewed have sort of said, basically when they were in school, they had some sort of a teacher or someone that sort of helped them along. Uh, and it's, it's interesting because it's either ones that have went to art schools or that may have went to a more traditional university but didn't necessarily fall into art until later. There was someone that kind of helped push them along. Let's talk a little bit about some projects you worked on after you graduated. There were two projects, uh, Convene and Oh My Math. How did those come about? Well, both of those projects were from a hackathon. The Convene project was a child from um, a BMW slash ATT hackathon. And it was basically like, how do we, uh, we're trying to figure out how like to automate and automate like a, a smart house and synchronization of everything that's in your life, all the electronics. So we basically, like, one of the key functions of the app was to actually, like, compute how much gas you burn through through, like, your during your commute to work and make it a more efficient way where you could take a certain route that will burn as less as much less gas as possible. The other one was uh, Oh My Math, which was another ATT uh, hackathon child. He's basically using ESPN stats to teach kids about uh, mathematical problems. Oh, that's cool. I, I was more inspired about it because I knew, like, when I was a kid, I knew, like, Michael Jordan's, uh, you know, you know, stats and all that stuff. And I was, that's actually like, got uh, interested in, like, I said, like, how they ever got the average of this, you know? And I actually learned that, you know, you take the, the sum of the total points and then you divide it by how many games you played. And that's where they all came from. 
I like that. That's a really that's a really innovative approach to learning math is kind of doing it through sports stats. I remember when I was a kid, that's sort of how we learned. That's how we learned like fractions and averages through uh, baseball. So learning how they calculate like the ERA or the RBIs or something like that. How is is oh my math? Is that still progressing now? Yeah, I mean slowly but surely. Like like I was doing multiple activities, so I didn't have enough time to actually you know do anything. But um, right now I'm actually you know getting into the research phase of it and then kind of thinking about the wireframe and how it's going to look. And then um, once I'm done, I'll probably uh, try to, you know, mark it out or something like that. Now, you're in New York City. What is the, what's the design scene like there? Are you involved in a lot of different, like, design groups and organizations? I know you mentioned these these hackathons. I try to, like, attend a lot of events, meetups or hackathons every once or twice a week. Hackathons, I usually attend, like, um, uh, Angel Hack kind of the AT team. Well, those are the main ones I actually attend. As for the uh, meetups, I actually uh, involved in um, SAS, which is a CSS preprocessor meetup, web design meetup. I'm actually part of the, the Interaction Design um, Association group in New York City, and I attend those meetups too. So it's like, a, there's, there's a lot of stuff going on during the week, and I try to attend as, as much as possible. But yeah. Is it really good for networking doing all that? Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's the best. It's the best thing for me because when I first started, I I didn't attend any events, and I was it was hard because I I wanted to meet people that were like like me and they were like in the in the the same industry, and then I remember when I attended my first meetup, and then we were exchanging ideas, we were talking about what how to do things differently, and I think it definitely helped me, you know, with my uh my career progression because I I learned so much stuff, and then you try new stuff out, you meet new people, and then it's I think overall a good experience to just, just just like expand your horizons. Now let's talk about what you're doing now. I think you mentioned earlier when we were talking that you're starting a new position. Can you can you talk about that? Yeah. A little bit? Or is it still too? No, early? actually, <laughs> I, I start tomorrow, so it's kind of it's got oh nice. it's kind of, kind of funny, but, but um, I accepted the position as a product designer at Nasdaq. Oh, very nice. That's good. Congratulations. Thanks. Yeah, so basically it's going to be mostly like um, working on the web applications for like some of the traders and you know they have various products that go from that um, many people use from different countries. Basically it's going to be mostly user experience and prototyping so it's going to be a lot of like design and, and development that match together and stuff like that which is which I which is what I wanted to do because it's fine it's very hard to find like a job that allows you to do the design aspect and a little bit of the front end stuff. So that's why I feel it was a very perfect opportunity for me to show my skills. Nice. Uh, we just interviewed um, another, actually another designer in New York, this woman named Kat Small, and she also has done some work for NASDAQ. I think it was, it was more along the lines of graphic and web design. I don't think it was more product design from what you're doing, but uh, no, that's, that's good. Congratulations, man. That's good. Thanks. Uh, you also do some work for yourself on the side. You have like your own studios. Yeah, I, uh, I do a little like client work every once in a while. I find it hard to do it. Like I, I had a problem doing it before because I used to stay up all the way until like 4 a.m. doing work. So I had to like stop it for a while, but uh, I'm starting it up again, you know, little by little. Do you feel that you're satisfied creatively? Uh, definitely not. I mean, I'm always, for me, I always think of that, uh, like creatively, I'm not, as good as I wanted to be, and I always feel like mm-hmm. I could always be better, and you know, have my my work be you know be more predominant. So that's why I always try to like I'm always reading, I'm always looking at you know what other artists do or designers do, and just like kind of trying to making my own style and brand. What are some other designers and artists that you uh, 
that you look to for inspiration? I I look into like I don't know if you've heard, but uh, one guy is called Jacob Cass. He's a, a designer that's located in New York. Uh, he does a lot of websites, brand identity, and stuff like that. One other guy is uh, David Ari. He's also like a, a brand ID uh, designer. Chris Corrier. There's a lot of them. Chris Spooner. Like I, I, I look at because their their works is kind of like where I want my work to be. So sometimes they have blog posts like showing the process, and that's why I feel like they're. It's very important for me just to see how people, you know, go through their process, all these other things. Because before, when I first started out, I didn't have no process. So usually when I was, like, doing the site, I usually jump into Photoshop without doing any research or anything like that. But, like, I figure out, like, oh, you know, I need to research this. And then they usually have, like, a blog article explaining how to do certain things. And that's why... I mean, that's what I feel is the best way best way to actually learn is to actually study the greats. What's your process like now? Is it more research-based? When I first start out, you know, I give them a design brief, like what they want and have any benchmark ideas and stuff like that. Then I do research on their competitors or in, and kind of like see what I could do better for them. And then once I do that, then it's like kind of like a back-and-forth calculation where it's just like, well, they give me what they want. I, I tell them. I ask them if they like it. If they don't, I'll do it again. I kind of give them three like choices just to make it simpler. Like I give them that's one that's mm-hmm. their way, one is my way, and then one is like a, a mishmash of of both our our ideas. And then um, and that's how it usually starts. And then uh-huh. it usually just gets better and better and better. And then um, all the way into completion. Let's talk a little bit more about I guess the New York design scene because you mentioned before that you would go to. Like you go to meetups and you go to uh, hackathons and things. What's it like, I guess, from a, a diversity standpoint? Do you go to these things and does it feel like it's, is New York a pretty diverse design scene in terms of, I'd say. Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it's very, it's very diverse and it's, cause it's, it's I mean, I feel like they have that perception of, I see that mostly the, the females are, are designers and they got the males that are mostly developers, but I feel like now it's getting like much more, you know, merge together so it's kind of like it could be you could be any background be any race or or any gender and then you could be like creating great work and stuff like that so i guess i really think it's like a melting pot it's kind of like how our city is built it's just a lot of people doing just doing the same stuff have you uh, been to a lot of design conferences and things there uh i've been to a couple well i was a volunteer for the sas conference and then um i went to a drupal conference but those are the only two i actually go to because the other ones require uh time off work for it which i i couldn't get but i'm definitely going to attend attend a lot more this year outside of i guess the work that you're doing with uh with oh my math and of course you're starting at NASDAQ, are there any kind of personal projects that you're working on? Not really. I mean, I every time I feel like it, it, it's like a personal project, it always, it always ends up being like a project that I really want to work on, which is like kind of like Oh My Mess because it was something that we just we started. And then I was like, it was like a personal project where I was just like doing a little research. And then I was like, okay, I want to see how this, I want to bring this to life. So usually if it's like a personal project, it will actually like come, you know, it will be its own like like professional project for me. Thinking back on your kind of design journey to where you are now, what's what's some of the best advice that you've been given regarding what you do? Best advice. I think the best advice was like always to always study your craft. 
which is which is kind of strange because I know when I was at school I didn't like to study or you know read, but I guess when you're doing something that you like and you're always trying to get better, you always try to have you have to always like stay on top of like like uh, the latest what's going on in the latest world tech and stuff like that and. Also, sometimes, like, I know that sometimes I, I want to, like, sharpen my skills, so I'll actually, like, take a class or, you know, something about, it could be something simple as, like, drawing or, you know, typography 101 or, you know, something about, but it's always, like, you always have to, like, have an interest and passion for it. Uh, if you weren't doing design right now, do you think you would be more uh, focused on painting? What, what would you be doing? Uh, would, your, would your parents try to force you to be a doctor? Uh, no, I mean, they wouldn't, they wouldn't force me. <laughs> not, not like, since everyone else broke the cycle. I made a deal with myself that, that I, always, I if I was gonna work at, like, a specific job, it was gonna be creative one way. So, it was like, it was either gonna be design, I don't know if it'd be painting, but it'd probably been something more, cause I know painting, like, it, it would've been hard just to survive, and I have student loans, so I can't really, like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, you gotta pay those. Yeah, up. so, I don't know. I didn't really thought. I mean, I, I guess this was always the plan. I was like, I was going to have to like figure a way out to like be creative. It was like for me, like I'm actually like interested in like interior design a little bit and fashion, but I don't think I would have, I'm not a good sewer, so I wouldn't be able to survive in, in fashion, but I don't know. I think design was like the only plan I had. It was like out of art or design. So one of those. Nice. So it still would have been something in that creative design family. That's good. Where do you where do you see yourself in the next let's say the next five years? Where do you see yourself growing as a designer? Well, my plan was actually to be like a creative director or some sort in, within the next not five years, probably like seven years. Because okay. I I mean I I'm interested in both. Like I wanna I'm interested in both. You know how like like how like Chris Corey and Brad Foss are like you know kind of like those hybrids. I kind of want to be like one of those people that are like the movers and shakers, and I'm always. I kind of want to be like the person that talks at uh, at conferences and meeting other people, but uh, yeah, different that. I'm, I kind of want—I don't know if I wanted to do like a corporation, but kind of like more of a, like a a product small agency, mm-hmm. but something like that. Are there any conferences that you would love to speak at one day? Probably like one of the, uh, like the CSS Dev Conference and the front the front enders conference too, which it looked like I, looked, I was looking at the videos they had. And it looked pretty fun. But the thing is, like, with me, is, like, uh, I feel like when I talk about something, like, like to, like, professionals, I think, like, oh, they probably know this, what I'm talking about. So there's no need for me to talk about it. But I think one day I'll get over the fear. Yeah, it's 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 a really funny thing about, about speaking at conferences. I've spoken at a few conferences and given a few keynotes. And it, I think there there's always going to be that little kind of kernel of perception that you feel like you're, you're preaching to the choir, sort of. Mm-hmm. I would say that's not usually always the case. Uh, depending on what your topic is, I mean, it's rare that you're going to speak somewhere and someone will show up and they already know what you're talking about and it's, you know, they're just there to sort of heckle you or something like that. Like, that's a really rare, they'd have to kind of be a dickhead if they did that. Like, that's a really rare thing. But, uh, a lot of times when people go to conferences, it's people of all types of skill levels. Um, it can be working professionals. It can be people that, are just learning and getting into it because it's, it's often rare to know who your audience is. Whenever you're speaking for a conference, usually, you know, when you present your talk, you can tell them like, I'm giving this conference, I'm giving this talk to this type of audience. Or depending on the conference, you'll already sort of know who the audience is. So you can tailor your talk 
uh, towards that. But I think the notion of that you'll get up there and speak and it's stuff that people already know uh, is not necessarily the case all the time. I'd say maybe like 90% of the time that's not true. Okay. When, when, you, when you're getting up to speak, you're, you're teaching about something that someone else likely doesn't know about. Because if they already know about it, then why would they show up just to hear you talk about it? Okay, you know? that makes sense. What, what conferences have you talked at? I've spoken at some, some local conferences and a few word camps. Um, I've spoken at South by Southwest in 2010. Uh, oh, really? I, I haven't done a lot of speaking lately just because that's a, that's a whole nother interview. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I just know that what I, what I've usually found is that whatever, whatever it is that you're talking about, chances are your audience is going to learn something from it. Cause really what it is, you know, the thing is with technology, a lot of the stuff that we're learning is changing so quickly. Like it, like this stuff changes every year, every month, every week, sometimes every day it changes. So no one is ever going to be fully on top of everything when it comes to design and technology. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it, it changes to a degree where no one's going to be like the real expert. People can certainly give their insight and they can give their, you know, opinion on things, but no one's ever going to know everything because it changes too quickly. The good thing is that, you know, different speakers just bring different things to the table. Like some speakers are more, you know, serious and they give very technical, didactic talks. Some speakers are very uh, kind of funny and goofy, like you mentioned Chris Coyer. Chris Coyer's talks always tend to be very much uh, typography-based, and they're also kind of a little, like, funny, goofy a little bit. So every speaker kind of brings something different. I mean, some people show up just for the speaker. They don't necessarily show up to know what they're talking about, but they know that whatever they're going to present is going to be in a way that will be engaging, that will be educational. So... Yeah, don't don't try to look at it as you're you're talking about stuff that people already know. Uh, just look at it more as you're like you're teaching. You're teaching your knowledge. You're giving your unique perspective on the subject, and that's really why people will show up to listen to you. Oh, cool. Well, that... So if I can just pass <laughs> that, that that little uh, little bit of advice. <laughs> Where's the wisdom? Yeah. Yeah, because I always, I always get scared. I'm like, oh god, I don't want to talk about this. And it's like, am I really an expert at this? Especially like, like my, at my age, I'm like, I'm still like, I'm 26, so I'm like, I don't really know anything like that. You know, people in their 30s or, or late 20s don't know about. But I'll take, I'll take that in the car. Yeah, I mean, and especially since you go to a lot of meetups now, like you say, you go to a lot of local meetups and things like those are really the best places for you to cut your teeth with with public speaking. Um, I think when people look at speaking in the design and tech fields, they're always looking at big stages, like they're looking at a South by Southwest or Future of Web Apps or something like that. They're looking at like a big national, maybe international stage. And the thing is, you have to work up to that point. You can't just start off at the top. Like you have to start off at local meetups because that's really that's really where you're going to get the confidence to speak on larger stages. You speak at local meetups. Um, uh, you know, a lot of nonprofit agencies, you can usually go and speak about something for free. Actually, that's a really good place. This is a, another little kind of tidbit. Um, nonprofit organizations kind of always need someone to speak to them about technology because chances are, depending on what their funding situation is, they don't have dedicated IT staffs. Mm -hmm. So anyone that can come in and show them how they can do their job better using technology in some sort of way is usually a really good idea. And, of course, they'll give you, you know, testimonials. They can even possibly throw you a little work. 
don't underestimate nonprofits. I think a lot of people look at nonprofits as not having money, which is not the case. They often get millions of dollars in grants and fundraising and things like that. But, you know, meetups and things are a really good opportunity to like get comfortable with speaking in front of a crowd, with uh, gauging audience responses, with getting your slide decks together and everything. So that way, when you start going for bigger stages to speak at, you've already got a ton of speaking experience from like local meetups. you got people that can vouch for the work that you can do because I think when you're going to speak at a larger stage, uh, the conference organizers always want to make sure, well, can this person bring in tickets? Is this person going to be an engaging speaker? And if you haven't spoken a lot, then of course, you know, you're kind of a gamble for them. But if you've got a lot of speaking under your belt, then when you go to these larger stages and you, you know, like submit a proposal and tell them these are all the talks that I've done, uh, you look, you just look more attractive to them as someone that they would want to feature in their like speaker list and in their conference. So yeah, just start small, start locally. I think you're already doing a really good job with, with going to meetups. I don't know if they, uh, I know the meetups they have here, they usually rotate like a different person speaks or they present on, on something. Yeah. Um, I think, as being like a young designer, particularly a young Nigerian designer, you can give a very unique perspective on on design things that perhaps a lot of people at those meetups wouldn't necessarily have. So, you know, play to your 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 differences in that respect. Okay, cool. I will do. That sounds uh that sounds like an interesting actually uh talk being a Nigerian designer. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. Um, I know that there's a lot of, there's a lot of design work that's coming out of Nigeria. There's a lot of, a lot of tech work really coming out of Nigeria. But, um, there's another, I don't know if you know this guy. His name, he's in New York. His name is Sanango Akpem. Does that name sound familiar? It does. He's a Nigerian designer. He's done some, uh, work for, he has a site called Pixel Fable. And then he has another one that's called Lost Nigeria. The Pixel Fable site is about, sort of taking traditional Nigerian folk tales and translating them for the web. And Lost Nigeria, I think, is like a photo essay of like his mom uh, back in Nigeria in like the, the 50s and 60s or something like that. But um, uh, I'll set up something between you two because I think you two can can meet and, and collaborate or, or just even talk shop about stuff. I think that would be a really, really good idea, you know, sticking together. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, what what kind of music are you listening to right now? What are, what are you rocking? I I usually when I'm working, I, I usually listen to like uh kind of R and B, a little bit of hip hop. I don't, I don't listen to the new rap because I I guess I have to actually search for good music. But um, and I listen to some Nigerian stuff too. It's just a whole combination of different kinds of sounds and musics. But mostly like if it's hip hop, I'm listening to like Jay Z, Fabulous, Talib Kweli. Most Def, little Michael Jackson. You can see uh, uh, Steve Wonder a little bit in there. So it's a little like it's like a I go from like the the sixties all the way to present day. All right. So just to wrap all this up, uh, where can our readers find you online? Uh, you could reach me at uh my Twitter handle is uh at a Kungle Oduye. Uh, to spell it out is A D E K U N L E O D U Y E. You can find me on my my website is uh the same thing as atakunle dot com. Yeah, that's pretty much it. All right, cool. Atakunle, thank you so much for taking time out of your day. I appreciate it. Good luck on the job. <laughs> thank you. Tell your sister. I didn't mention this in the, in the earlier part of the interview. So, Ari Kunle's uh, big sister is the famous actress. 
Adepero Oduye. So tell your sister Revision Pass says hello. <laughs> well, um, do. <laughs> and again, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. No problem. And that's it for this week. Big thanks to Adekunle Oduye and thanks to you for listening. Don't forget about our t-shirt campaign at teespring.com forward slash revision path. Subscribe to us on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher Radio and leave us a rating and a review. Revision Path is a 318 media project. If you like what we're doing with these podcasts, you can help sponsor the show. Contact information will be included in the show notes. Thanks again for tuning in and we'll see you next time.